Hey there, welcome to the Courage Cast. My name is Andrea Crisp, and today I'm chatting with Anna LeBaron, author of The Polygamous Daughter and daughter of infamous cult leader Ervil LeBaron. In this episode, Anna shares how at 13 she was able to escape the violent cult and how her journey of healing empowered her to share her story. Get ready, because this true story is so harrowing, you would imagine it came straight from a Hollywood script. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week, we'll share real stories of influential women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, Andrea Crisp, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Before we jump into this episode of The Courage Cast, I want to personally invite you to join me for a five-day challenge to live bravely. Now, before I tell you about the challenge, I want to ask you a question. What have you always wanted to do, but are too afraid to do alone? I know it's hard to take big steps into the unknown when you feel like you're doing it all by yourself. And the times that I've been the most successful with my goals and the dreams that I have for my life have been when I'm encouraged by people who really are willing to walk the journey with me. So that is exactly what we're going to do. For five days, we'll join together as a community of women to encourage one another towards living more intentionally. We'll be brave together. Now this challenge is completely free and it starts on October 30th. So when you sign up for the challenge, you're going to get access to a private Facebook group that I'll be jumping in on every day to encourage each and every one of you. And you'll also hear from some of my really amazingly talented friends who are going to encourage you as well. So to sign up and really start to live more bravely, head over to andreacrisp.ca forward slash live brave challenge. Hey friends, the story you are about to hear is real and raw. It's the true life story of a woman who embodies the definition of courage. I was honored to be able to chat with Anna LeBaron about the healing that has taken place in her life and the freedom she has experienced in sharing her story. Anna is one of 50 children fathered by Irva LeBaron, who spent years hiding from the FBI until he was eventually captured and sentenced to life in prison for murder. From his prison cell, he continued to control his 13 sister wives, his children, and many of his followers who carried out murder on his behalf. Abandoned as a child, Anna was forced to live in the most horrific conditions. She endured years of child labor and was sexually groomed to become a sister wife. But at the age of 13, she made the most courageous decision of her life and escaped from the violence of the cult. But now fatherless and motherless, she sought refuge with her sister's family. Her story does not end there. She experienced trauma and multiple murders within her family and was devastated by severe loss. This conversation with Anna is honest and transparent, and she shares about her healing journey that she has been on for the past 20 years. It is truly the story of redemption and belonging. And my friends, I am so, so honored to share with you the story of Anna LeBaron. Anna, I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to do the podcast today. I'm like, I think I just put on Instagram that I'm super nervous to interview you, which is kind of crazy. I don't get nervous that often, but more than like just nervous, I think I'm honored to be able to talk to you and share your story. And I first want to say that I did finish your memoir. I like literally devoured it within days and it's called The Polygamous Daughter and it's your story and it's so well written. It is beautifully crafted. I absolutely loved it and it made me want to ask you basically a million questions. So thank you for agreeing to be on the Courage Cast today. Well, thank you for having me. I am honored to be here. It's it's fun for me to be on this side of the story where I can tell what happened to me. Yeah. And and I'm already at the place where I've been healed and um telling the story doesn't re-traumatize me. So for those people who have maybe not uh read your memoir or heard your story, can you just briefly share a little bit about who you are, 
what you've written about and what is your memoir about? I am Anna LeBaron. <laughs> I'm Anna, pronounced like the girl in Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my name has was legit when that movie came out. Before that, it was, oh, hi, Donna. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was born and raised in a violent polygamist cult and um, my, lived my life in fear. Um, we were on the run from the law. Um, my dad was wanted. Um, I didn't know him very well because when you, your dad has 13 wives and 50 children that he's fathered, you're not going to get very much of his time. So that's how I grew up, essentially fatherless, um, in, in a lot of ways motherless as well. And so, you know, kind of raised by siblings, we kind of raised each other in a way. Mm-hmm. And it was a very difficult um, childhood, very difficult teenagehood. Um, so many things happened that should never happen to children or teenagers. Um, so I tell in my memoir about the things that happened to me. Um, I talk about what transpired even after I was able to escape and the ways that that life that my father created for us impacted even me into my adulthood. Mm-hmm. And then I share part of the healing journey that I've been on um, since I began uh, professional counseling, which was definitely needed after all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was as I was reading the very first part of the memoir, I thought, wow, this is pretty incredible. And I expected that it would kind of taper off and it would have, you know, this is where I escaped the polygamous cult. And yet, even after that, there was so much more that happened to you after that. Um, oh, yeah. It. <laughs> I've had so many people um, say, or like, like they're messaging me as they read. And... You know, their reaction to the things that unfold in the later parts of the book. It just verifies to me that I wasn't crazy, that these things were horrific and that, you know, I shouldn't, nobody should have to live with those kinds of events having transpired in their life. Mm -hmm. Now, as a mom right now, you've got five grown kids. Mm -hmm. How, How does that affect you as a mother and with your own children today? Well, I'm, I'm super happy that all my kids are grown now. <laughs> they, they, they were, um, like, let me just put it this way. When my fourth child was born, the oldest one had not turned five yet. And so for three days, I had four kids ages four and under. Oh, wow. And I thought to myself, what have I done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then the, you know, the oldest turned five and I went, okay, whew, I think I'll, I, you know, I dodged that bullet. But, you know, having five kids really small and all stair step down um, was a really difficult time. But now that they're all grown, I, I'm just loving life with them, watching them spread their wings and figure out life on their own. And, you know, would they call and come by? Oh my gosh, it's just such a joy and a delight. Yeah, when I see you and I hear you, like it's, you seem like a different person than the person in that book. Oh my gosh, that the person in that book, um, I mean, I don't know how much you know about um, polygamy or the polygamist lifestyle. Um, girls are born and bred and raised and groomed to become sister wives. Mm -hmm. And so when you're groomed for that life, you're taught to sit down, shut up, be seen, not heard. Your voice doesn't matter, and you have no choice in the matter. No voice, no choice. Yeah. And you learn to squash and, you know, 
push down all your emotions. You're taught and trained not to have emotions. Like, let's, for instance, jealousy. You're taught to not do that. And so just the personality that I am, the person that was innately me, you know, the person that God created me to be is this very high energy, enthusiastic, opinionated and um, fun loving and spirited. And I mean, you just name all those adjectives. <laughs> I could probably name more. It's me. And I had to um, suppress all of that growing up to survive. When I was reading, um, I was, I guess I was most surprised because I would, I would have assumed that a lot of it came from a kind of a male dominated culture, but I was really surprised at how female driven the fear was as well. And Mm -hmm. that it came from the sister wives who were essentially your stepmothers and people who you had to uh, watch their young children. You had to um, live with at different times. Like I was amazed at how much fear controls all of the children, really. Right. I mean, it's no wonder that anxiety is something that so many of my siblings struggle with. Yeah. It's no, it's, it's obvious why mm-hmm. when you're raised in a, an environment that is fear based and the fear is palpable. I didn't know what the adults were afraid of. I just knew they were, you could feel it. Nobody talked about it to Mm -hmm. the kids. You just knew that there was something in the air and, and it was not good almost all the time. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that even the other, the other adults that were there, they were fearful, but they weren't even saying they would never admit it. No, they can't. And, you know, they were like wanting to evade the law. Almost all of them. We were like my father ordered the first hit on his very own brother when I was three years old and it was carried out. So our whole family dynamics, the whole family system, the whole cult group um, was fear-based from that moment on. Mm -hmm. And he was eventually responsible for the deaths of 28 people confirmed and up to 38 people, depending on which investigators counting. And so these murders and these hits were being ordered and carried out by his followers. And everybody, all the adults knew what was going on and they were all afraid. And that was like, that fear was just, um, you know, when you're born and raised in an environment of fear, mm-hmm. you you take it on. It's part of your uh, DNA almost. Um, and and it's something that you have to figure out as an adult what you're going to do with that. When you were like a child or even into your adolescence, how did you deal with that fear? Um, I... I didn't even realize that that was the case. Um, I didn't even know that what I was experiencing, like physiologically, Mm -hmm. um, that it was called anxiety until like five years ago. And I don't like talking about age, but I'm 48 years old. And to think that I lived into my adulthood, into my 40s, not understanding that what I was experiencing is called anxiety. Um, my counselor said anxiety triggered by post-traumatic stress. And it was like the heavens parted. And I finally understood what was happening in my body. Right. And, um, and I had been in counseling since 1995. I was in my late 20s when I started professional counseling and just, it never occurred to me to ask, you know, do I have a diagnosis? You know, do I have a, you know, is there a name for this? Right. It just never occurred to me. And I received help. I managed to 
figure it out and to come out of my shell to figure out how to be the real me and in ever increasing measure as I healed more and more. But when I realized, you know, what this feeling is called inside of me where it's, you know, you're tense and your stomach is in a knot and your mind is racing and I just thought this is normal life. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that not everybody feels this way all the time. Right. I didn't know that. And so it was um, learning that and, and getting the help that I needed that helped me um, figure it out and find a way to live without this feeling being all-consuming. Now, was there like a point in your life um, before you escaped or even around that time where you can pinpoint in particular a moment where you had, you really face that fear and you were able to kind of be courageous? Well, running away from home at age 13 was a, a big pivotal time in my life that changed everything. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have any idea how things would turn out, if it would even turn out for good. Um, I didn't know any of that. And so that was probably one of the most courageous things that I've done is to just walk away Mm -hmm. from it all. Um, Like my sister said when I talked to her on the phone that day, she said, start walking and I did. And I've been walking ever since. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, walk, I'm walking this journey out and making it something that, making my life something that I'm proud of. Um, I say that I'm redeeming the LeBaron name. I mean, because you can Google my dad's name, Erval LeBaron, and it's just horrific. The things you could read for days mm-hmm. on the internet. You know, when your dad has his own Wikipedia page, and I think there's a crimelibrary.com or something, you know, and the, the things you read there are just horrifying. And so you know you're in trouble when, when that's the case mm-hmm. and you go online and read about your dad. But I would love for the LeBaron name to be redeemed for, I mean, our, our family, our, my whole entire family is out Nobody's mm-hmm. part of that group anymore, and nobody, nobody believes that my dad was any kind of prophet anymore. Not even my own mother, who is still a believer in polygamy as a practice. Right. She's still part of a community that practices polygamy. But she doesn't even believe that my father was any kind of prophet. But he sure did. And he had a lot of people that believed him for a long time. But now... My whole family's out. Um, all his children are out um, living lives that I am so proud of them. I'm proud of me. I'm proud of us. Um, there's so much healing that has taken place. So much more is necessary and so much more is needed. Mm-hmm. But so much has already taken place that um, our family is just such a diff- there's such a different story that's being told now. Um, with the lives of each person in our family. And I just could not be prouder to be a LeBaron, to be known as um, one of the siblings of Herbal LeBaron's children. We're taking the name LeBaron and, and making it something to be proud of again. And and I'm happy about that. Now, you have a lot of siblings. Like Yes, 40, I do. <laughs> I have one, um, and he's enough for 50, but um, yeah. you have a lot of siblings. How how many of the percentage are in the polygamous lifestyle? Um, there's none of them that are living polygamy right now. Only two of them still believe in the practice of polygamy, but neither one are living it right now for two different reasons. So none of them. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm just, and there is sometimes when I say that, um, I mean, you see 
you read my book, you read on the internet. Um, if you go on, if you have Amazon Prime, there's a made-for-TV movie that's just horrifying mm-hmm. about my father. It's called Prophet of Evil. Um, so you go and you look at all of that and you compare that to where we are now. And it's, it's the difference is night and day. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm simply amazed, like when you tell me that out of 50 and I'm you know sure that some have passed away but like the redemptive story of that is just unbelievable to me yeah and and that that's amazing um how is and I know that faith has played a pivotal role and as you read in your memoir you you begin to see that out of like a religious cult and upbringing you found a faith that was your own Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? Uh, I'm going to get emotional just talking about it. Um, I I don't want to spoil everything for your listeners if they decide they want to read the book. Um, and please but do. I did, please read the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I came to know Christ as my Savior very early on um, after escaping. And... Um, it's only been in the last five or 10 years, though, that I have been able to enter into the fullness of the joy of my salvation, if mm-hmm. we can put it that way, um, and to know that um, I'm irrevocably part of his family, that there's nothing I can say or do, nothing I can not say or not do that will revoke the fact that I'm his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, that knowledge and learning that and knowing that deep down in my knower um, has changed everything. And um, for the first you know, several decades of my walk with Christ, that was not something that I knew like for real. Mm-hmm. Um, I most people that grow up fatherless um, or with a father that is not present and active and loving and kind, um, if they grow up not understanding the love of an earthly father, it's hard to connect with a heavenly father in a way that's deeply meaningful and deeply personal. And so that was me and my life for decades mm-hmm. where I just like knew that other people had something that I didn't, knew that I was saved, knew that I had accepted you know, Christ, knew in my head that Jesus actually walked on the earth that he was a real historical person that lived and died and then rose again the third day. I knew that and I accepted it. And, and that's what the Bible calls becoming a Christian, where you become a follower of the Christ way, you know, or yeah. whatever. Um, so I, I knew that. Um, that was never in question. But my uh, role in the kingdom, my place in the kingdom as a daughter of the king of kings um, was not something I came to embrace and understand and fully acknowledge until the last five or ten years. Mm-hmm. And it's changed everything. When I think about just kind of what you said and about the the father and having a relationship with God as Father, and you having had a very um, basically non-existent relationship with your father, having seen him even only a handful of times in your life, what was that like for you to to understand who God was and who how he is your father? <laughs> um, it took a long time for me to... Um figure that out to make 
um, make the reality of what's in the spiritual realm um, understood and known by me in this physical realm. Mm -hmm. The spiritual reality was never in question. Like, I was always a daughter, but I didn't know it. In the heavenly realm, I was always his daughter from the moment I received him, yeah. the, the second I received him. But in the physical realm, I did not understand what that meant, how it worked, what it looked like, felt like, act like, walked like. I did not know any of that. And, and coming into a greater understanding of that has just been one of my truest joys. Um, the thing that I can liken it to the most closely that I've ever found mm -hmm. is um, I've, um, in the last few years, I've come to know three uh, women. I call them the adoption trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> because they've, they've instructed my heart so well. Um, three women that adopted children that their adoption occurred because of trauma. Like the children um, were adopted and the history of that child was trauma. Yeah. And so these women that adopted these children who were, the adoption was born out of some kind of trauma, are so longing for those babies and those children and even teenagers now to accept and receive that they are loved, provided for, cared for, um, that they are part of the family irrevocably. Mm -hmm. and, and to receive that and embrace it and know it. And the children, um, the parents talk about how much the children suffer, even as part of the family, with knowing that that status as a daughter and a son is irrevocable and they have a hard time receiving that parental love from the adoptive parent mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel secure to that child and I see adopted children and and really identify with them with the that being a physical representation of a spiritual reality mm -hmm. I think Christians, we're all adopted. We're adopted into the family. <laughs> and, and that's biblical. God is, God's heart is for adoption. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you can't learn the, about that heart of adoption that God has any better than watching an adoptive family at work. Mm -hmm. And so I call these three women my, my, my trifecta. And I adore them. Um, they've taught me so much about God's love for me, watching them. I'm getting all emotional just talking about it. Mm -hmm. Just watching them love those children so well mm -hmm. um, shows me the heart of God for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. I didn't know I was going to need Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I appreciate how deeply you feel that. And, and I think that probably there's so many people, men, women who have a loss or kind of this place of not feeling a belonging or not feeling like they fit into something or, oh my gosh, that is, yes, you're touching on all the little soft spots in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> And that's hard because you, it's almost like you can't, you can't teach people how to fit mm -mm. or to belong. It's placing yourself there and the vulnerability of belonging. Yeah. Um, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability a lot and her books have been so, so powerful for me. Mm -hmm. um, she has several. I thought it was just me. Um, the Gifts of Imperfection and Daring Greatly, all three of those are the trifecta of Brene Brown books. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love her. <laughs> yeah, I got to see her live in Austin just recently. 
talking about her new book, Braving the Wilderness. Oh, oh my gosh, that was such a powerful experience. I'm sure when you think about like being brave, having courage, and what is like the message that you now as an adult, as a 48 year old woman (laughs) who is like forging her own path in a whole new way, Mm -hmm. how does that look for you? And what's the message that you are now wanting to put into the world? Um, telling your story, um, to people who have earned the right to hear your story, as Brene Brown calls it, yeah. is one of the most powerful ways that people can begin to walk out their journey of freedom. Um, tell, um, and when she says people who have earned the right to hear your story, that can be a friend over a cup of coffee, um, a safe a counselor, a pastoral type person, youth minister, you know, just people who are safe people mm-hmm. that can bear up under the weight of your story. Um, that happened for me in 1995 mm-hmm. when I told my story to the very first person ever. Um, and it was horrifying. The, the experience was really traumatizing telling it um, feels like it's worse than having lived it, oh. but it's not ever worse than having lived it. So for people who have experienced trauma and abuse, um, imagining yourself telling your story is you think, oh, I, I'll, it would kill me or I might die. <laughs> but let, I'm walking, living, breathing, walking around proof that telling your story, telling the thing that happened to you um, won't kill you any more than having lived the thing, (laughs) even though it feels like it might kill you Mm -hmm. to breathe that thing that happened. And a lot of times we have to be adults before we are able to process with adult minds, adult cognitive abilities, um, the things that happen to us. And so I think that, you know, as children, we're given just just grace, um, this resiliency um, that God just somehow manages to grow us up into adults that can finally process what happened. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel it was for me and so many other people. I tell these uh, adoptive mamas that are that are raising these babies and children and teenagers that are just like trying to figure out their way and have a hard time. I say it might be when they're adults before they finally recognize that they are part of your family for good. Yeah. <laughs> they might be adults before they can do that. And it's okay. That they're on, they're on their own journey. Yeah. And even as much as you want them to just finally accept it and belong and feel great and and be a part, and th- it might not happen mm-hmm. in the, in that young child teenage mind. It might not be possible. Some it is, and for some it's just beautiful, and you see it, and it's magical and wonderful. But for some that have experienced trauma. It might be adult. They might be adults before you see the fruit of all that labor that you've put into loving and caring for this person. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel like God feels about me. Yeah, it's like I'll just love her long enough and get her to adulthood, and then she'll get some help, and then she'll know my love for her. You know, yeah. <laughs> He was just enormously patient with all of my stuff. Having been like through everything that you have been through, which please people read the memoir, like um, I'm not going to spoiler alert any of it, um, but what would you say you're most willing to fight for now? I, um, um, freedom is my thing. Walk, have, you know, huh. helping people 
walk out their own journey of freedom is something that I will never get tired of. Mm-hmm. Um, and freedom is defined by Bob Hamp, who wrote the foreword to my book. He defines freedom like this. Um, freedom is becoming the person that you were created and redeemed to be. I'm willing to fight for that all day long, for, for my own freedom and for that of others. Because that once you become the person that God imagined you to be when he created you in your mother's womb, like that person that he knew. Um, and the way I describe this is like if you hold an apple seed in your hand, um, you already know what an apple looks like and tastes like. The, the, whole, the end result of that seed. But before it can become an apple, lots of things have to happen um, in the natural. Mm-hmm. But you can imagine what that apple looks like. And that's how I think God, when he created us in our mother's womb, just a little tiny seed, he knew the person that we would become. Mm-hmm. The one he designed and the gifts, talents, abilities, and um, the personality and all of that he knew that from the moment he you were conceived Mm -hmm. and that's who he is fighting for you to become and that's what I'm willing to fight for for myself and for others all day long Mm -hmm. now I know that there's probably like so many women that are listening to this and they're thinking to themselves okay I don't have a story quite like this Mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm bound up or I feel like I'm locked in anxiety or depression and I have a dream, I have something that I want to pursue, but I, I can't. What would you tell them? How do they move past that? Um, if you've experienced trauma or abuse of any kind, and not just the abuses that leave marks and scars on the body, there are so many abuses that are called the hidden abuses because... They don't leave marks and scars on the body. Those marks and scars are left on the heart, the spirit, and the soul. And for those types of abuses, and for the other kind as well, Mm -hmm. um, healing is necessary. And it starts by sharing your story with the people that have earned the right to hear it. Mm -hmm. Walking out your healing journey starts with telling your story. It's so important. Um, There are so many times when you have experienced trauma and abuse where speaking that thing feels like a betrayal of the person that caused the trauma and abuse, oftentimes people that we love and know and Mm -hmm. care about. And it feels like a betrayal of a really important relationship to speak that thing and to say what happened. Um, But you have to be willing to break the code of silence. And children that experience trauma and abuse are either overtly or covertly taught to be silent about that. Mm -hmm. And whether it's overt or covert, um, the message is don't talk, don't tell, don't say it. And so finally finding within yourself um, the wherewithal um, and that fire in your belly finally burning up that last bit of resistance to being able to share your story um, is so important. Mm -hmm. And doesn't mean go share it on a stage in front of people if you haven't healed. Mm. It's not, it's important that that you um, take the time to heal with professional counseling. I would, I would say find a professional counselor and process what happened in a very safe, secure environment like that. Mm-hmm. Now for you, you mentioned that you've been in counseling for like 10 years I think it was supposed since to be. 1995. Okay, so longer, <laughs> longer than 10. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for a long time, and mm-hmm. you, I think you shared with me. Okay, you shared with me earlier that you've been speaking about your story for 10 years. Yes, I've been sharing okay. my story publicly for 10 years. Yeah, 
And now you've written your memoir and it's out in the world and people are gobbling it up and finding out about you and what you're doing and what is that like sharing your story at that level? It's, um, it's very empowering. Um, I didn't know how to talk about my story for the longest time. And I had so much shame about being Herbal LeBaron's daughter mm -hmm. that I wouldn't tell people <laughs> for the longest time into my adulthood. Most people that I interacted with in the world did not know about my family of origin. It was way too much, way too shameful. Mm -hmm. And since I've processed and healed and so many um, amazing things have happened and transpired in my family that have allowed all of us to break free from that stranglehold that that cult had on us. Mm -hmm. Now I feel proud of my family and I've been through the counseling process. I've healed so I can share my story and hold my shoulders back and hold my head up high and be proud of who I am, proud of what I've overcome and willing to come alongside of others that are either just beginning their freedom journey or are, you know, a little bit further down the path, you know, and just need someone to go, oh my gosh, you too? Oh, wow. Because that's one of the most powerful things is to share your story and then hear somebody say, me too. Yeah. And you don't have to be raised in a polygamous cult to identify with so many of the themes that run through my story. Trauma, abuse, neglect, you know, hunger, um, not being provided for, just abject poverty, mm -hmm. um, shame, <laughs> humiliation. You know, there's just so much. There are so many themes that other people can identify with. And, and hearing those stories is so redemptive for me. I say, I say that the people that I come in contact with and that, that share with me, you know, the impact that my story has had, I say all the time, you are part of my happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love how you are empowering people to be able to share their story and that you desire to see other people set free. What is like the next thing on the horizon for you after this memoir? Oh my gosh. Well, just having written the memoir and everything that has happened and transpired because of that, I mean, I could talk to you for probably another hour for, about everything that's happened since. Mm-hmm and the amazing ways that my life has just completely shifted and turned around. Um, I had a 17 year career in the air cargo industry mm -hmm. um, that I, um, I left that job December 31st and um, have been um, doing, I, I was launching planes for 17 years and now I launch books for a living. And that, the story of how that happened is so incredible that it would probably take me another hour just to explain how it happened. Yeah. Um, but it's my favorite subject to talk about after, you know, about my past, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can talk about my past for a long time, as you know, um, <laughs> as you've experienced. But book launching, um, that is just my passion now. And I came into it in such a weird way that it's incredible, like it's unbelievable. Like you hear the story and you're like, what? And so, um, so I've um, been launching books now for like two and a half, three years. Um, I, did, I did it on a fluke the first time I did it and then, um, and then started doing it more and more and more and then people started paying me to launch their books. And so I had, I was basically working two full-time jobs and I was really going crazy because that's, nobody can keep that up forever. And then I finally just said, um, I'm going to do this full-time because this is what I'm passionate about. Because um, I say, I tell people all the time, books mentored me. Mm -hmm. I was a voracious reader growing up. Um, almost everywhere we lived, even though we were in a polygamous cult, 
and on the run from the law and all that. My mom was a voracious reader as well. She read a lot of Harlequin romances. Mm-hmm. I, she didn't have a lot of romance in her life. If you can imagine having 13 sister, 12 sister wives, she didn't have a lot of romance. So she read a lot of Harlequin romances, but we would get library cards wherever we went. I'm sure we have overdue fines in about every city in America. No. <laughs> because I would walk out of a library with, you know, 20 books because that was the maximum and read through them. And then when I became an adult, I stopped reading fiction and started reading nonfiction. Every subject that I needed to know about, which I needed to know about every subject because I, I, got, I came into an adulthood not knowing how to adult. And so I read voraciously on every subject and the experts in every field I have consulted with through the medium of books. And they've mentored me and grown me and brought me into this place of who I am today. And so I've, I'm, I'm passionate about reading. I'm passionate about books. And so when this thing with book launching came out and now I get to uh, marry that passion for books and being mentored by books and that whole idea with helping other authors get their very important messages out into the world mm-hmm. so that they can mentor other people. Oh my gosh, that is just, I have a, a fire in my belly about that. And so um, right now what I'm doing is I'm creating an online um, tutorial or a training course where I can teach people how I launch books mm-hmm. and how I do it because um, it's so needed. There are so many great messages in that authors are putting out there. And my way of launching a book out into the world is effective and it works. And it happened by accident. I, like I said, it came, I came across it by accident and um, figured out that I had a knack for it. And now I'm going to be um, speaking in November at a publisher's conference. I'm talking to them about how to launch a book my way. Um, not that anybody else's way is wrong. Yeah. But my way is very effective. And so I'm super excited about that. And I'm putting this course together. And I'm so excited about putting that little course out into the world and allowing um, more people with amazing messages, more mentoring to happen. And not just, you know, uh, nonfiction books. I have recently began reading fiction again. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how the power of story helps people, even fiction. Um, I, I hadn't read fiction in a long time. And then I launched, I, I helped a friend launch her book that was a fiction book. And, and I re-remembered <laughs> um, how important story is in, the, in our hearts and in our lives. Even fiction mm-hmm. can have an impact on people's lives. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I love it. It's, um, it does so much good to my heart to, um, to be this kind of person that, um, advocates on behalf of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's what I'm doing right now. And um, if you want to be on a book launch team, if you've never been on a book launch team, just find me on social media. Cause I'm always talking about it. <laughs> where, where can people find you if they're looking to get in contact with you? Um, my website is AnnaLeBaron.com. Um, Anna is spelled A-N-N-A. Um, on social media, it's everything is at Anna K. LeBaron. And Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, those are where I'm most active. Um, those are where you can contact me, message me, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah. I love social media. So, yeah, if you're wanting to get in touch with Anna to even think about launching a book or hear about her story or find out how you can get her book 
or book her for a speaking event uh-huh. or see all the things she's doing, then you definitely want to check out um, one of her social media pages, whether Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, whichever you find yourself on. Uh-huh. And I love, like, I just want to say, like, as you've been telling me about helping people share their story and helping people um, mentor others through that, it just really speaks to me about how that freedom, it gives people freedom to be who God really meant them to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and to empower them that it doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what your past says about you, that you are not your past. You're who God says you are. Mm-hmm. And there is a process in all of that. You've shared a lot of it. Um, but I just want to encourage people who may be listening that if you are feeling that, um, feeling a shift in identity, that you don't have to stay where you are, that you can move forward, and that your story doesn't end with where you've been, there's so much more redemption and freedom that comes if you will take those steps forward and have courage to move forward. And Anna, I, I want to thank you for sharing so beautifully your story and I pray many many blessings on what's coming your way I know there's some super exciting things that you're about to do Mm -hmm. and believing that that's just the beginning yes thank you so much it's an honor to talk to you it's an honor to be able to speak into the lives of your listeners well friends I hope that you're encouraged that no matter what your life circumstance that you can experience freedom and belonging. I am truly blown away by Anna's powerful story of courage, and I hope that it empowers you to own your own story as well. I'd be remiss if I didn't leave you with one final thought. If you're listening today and you're a survivor of abuse, but you've never told anyone your story, I'd like to encourage you to share with a trusted friend and then ask them to help you find a trained professional counselor. In the show notes, I will list a contact number for a counselor here in the Toronto area. But if you need help finding a counselor, please reach out. And to access the show notes, go to thecouragecast.com. And to those of you who have bravely faced your abuse head on, be encouraged that your story does not end here. There is so much more to be written and you are never alone. There is hope, my friend. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. The Courage Cast is produced by Stephen Crilly.